The reading from God's Word is today from Joshua, the third chapter, verses 5 through 16. And may he bless the reading and the understanding of his word. Joshua told the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Joshua said to the priest, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass it on ahead of the people. So they took it up and went ahead of them. And the Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel, so they may know that I am with you as I was with Moses. Tell the priest who carry the Ark of the Covenant, When you reach the edge of the Jordan's water, go and stand in the river. Joshua said to the Israelites, Come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. This is how you will know that the living God is among you and that he will certainly drive out before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, Havites, Perizzites, Gergesites, Amorites, and Jebusites. See, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. Now then, choose twelve men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. And as soon as the priest who carry the Ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is at flood stage, all during harvest. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the Ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarethan. While the water flowing down to the Sea of the Ar Arbah, the Salt Sea, was completely cut off, so the people crossed over opposite Jericho. This is God's word. You may be seated. Good morning, church. When you have your Bibles open to Joshua chapter 3, put your finger there and um, mark it, and then pull out the sermon outline that you're going to find in the announcement sheet. You can use it as uh, we go through Joshua chapter 3 this morning. And while you're doing that, just a reminder to all the men that the men's prayer luncheons this Tuesday, the second Tuesday of the month, it'll start at 12. We'll be done by 1. Cost is $4. And men, it's a great opportunity for you to come and to, uh, to fellowship with your brothers and then to have a great period of prayer and a time of sharing our faith with each other. And we'll make sure that you're able to get out of there to be back at work by 1 o'clock. If you have some questions some more details you need to know, you can, you can see John Skipworth about that. Let's begin with a word of prayer. Father, we're so grateful that you have given us this moment in peace and in safety to come together in our number, to be family with each other, and to see each other, and to know how each other is doing, but at the same time to celebrate the fact that we are your children in your presence all together with our hearts made happy, our hearts filled with joy and with peace, Father, because of every blessing we have experienced in, in this life. And, and especially as, as we remember this past week, Father, the ways that You showed Yourself in our life to be mighty and to be present and to be loving and compassionate and merciful and faithful to us. And so as we study Your Word, Father, we want this Word to, to drive us even more deeply into a, a faith-filled, faith-defined relationship with You. 
And we're asking, Father, that You give us the eyes to see and the ears to hear so that it's so. Father, bless us as we think about this text that Fred has just read for us. And may we be profound with it, Father, in every part of our being. And we ask it in Jesus' name. And all the church said. There is an old, uh, I shouldn't say old, he, uh, he, may, uh, he may still be alive, but uh, a retired war correspondent by the name of Tim Bowden, who was very active uh, covering wars and writing about them you know, decades ago, wrote a book, maybe you've read it, it's called One Crowded Hour. And there's a story that he tells in this book of uh, it was 1964, and it was happening in Borneo. Uh, there was a, a fellow that approached the Nepalese fighters known as the Gurkhas and asked them if they would be interested in jumping from a plane behind enemy lines uh, in combat with, with the Indonesian enemy. And uh, would you like to do that? Would you like to jump from a plane and, and get behind them? And, you know, the Gurkhas didn't really understand everything that that entailed, and so they went off, they had counsel with each other and, and talked about it, their leaders, went back to this commander and said, I think we'd like to do that, but we have two stipulations. The first is that you fly that plane over swampy land. The second stipulation is that you fly it about 100 feet above the ground. Well, the commander kind of scratched his head and he said, you know, if I do that... Uh, and you jump out of that plane, you're not going to have enough time for the parachutes to deploy. And the Gurkhas looked at him and said, what parachutes? You never said anything about parachutes. <laughs> now for me, that is the spirit of a people that are ready and willing to take a land. And that's where we find ourselves this morning in Joshua chapter 3. We're going to be studying, thinking about the crossing of the Jordan River. Many of your classes have already covered this material, so a lot of it we're not going to, to cover again. But I do want us to start with this one thought. It's up here on the screen. It's this, every disciple encounters obstacles that are insurmountable unless they have help. I believe that with every ounce of my being that every disciple encounters obstacles that are insurmountable unless they have help. Now, this is one of the reasons why the crossing of the Jordan River is mentioned so many times in the Bible. Let me give you one example. Micah chapter 6 and verse 5. Micah tells the people of, of Israel to remember your journey from Shittim to Gilgal that you may know the righteous acts of the Lord. Now, Shittim was on the east side. Gilgal was on the west side. What he's referencing here is, is the crossing of the Jordan River. And that was one of the lessons, the power of God intervening in that march across that river as they entered the Promised Land. That was one of the things that Micah, as well as others, saying, you can never forget this. You might forget your own name. You might forget how to tie your shoes. But never forget the righteous acts of God. Now, you notice what Joshua says in the very moment uh, itself in Joshua chapter 3 verse 5 he, Joshua tells the people I want you to consecrate yourselves consecrate yourselves for tomorrow the Lord is going to do amazing things among you now you already know from your classes that this was no easy feat this this river is is flowing at flood stage right now because it's the harvest season that's chap, uh, verse 15 chapter 3 and Jordan at this time is not only fast flowing, but it is about a mile wide at this point. And what God is going to do is, a, is, is to cause the waters of the Jordan up to the north in this little town called Adam to, to pile up or to, or, or to heap up 
in such a way that the land becomes dry and the people are able to cross over. Now imagine the scenario just for a second. There is a mobile nation of more than a million people that are your enemy that are just across the river from you. They are on the east side of the river. And the Canaanites have spies throughout all of the hills watching Israel, wondering when they're going to make a move, wondering if, uh, if they're going to make the move today. When all of a sudden... I mean, what do you think they, were, they thought when they saw... A, a, more than a million people cross a river that just a few minutes ago was a mile wide and flowing fast. And these people are, are, are crossing the land where it's dry as if there had never been water there before. How did they respond? Well, a couple of chapters later in the first verse of Joshua chapter 5, we read that all the Amorite kings west of the Jordan and all the Canaanite kings along the coast heard how the Lord had dried up the Jordan before the Israelites until they had crossed over. Their hearts did what? Their hearts melted in fear and they no longer had any courage to face the Israelites. Now, one reason that this miracle takes place, I think, one, one pretty important reason, is I think God is giving the Canaanites another opportunity to switch their allegiance from the idols of Canaan to the Creator God of the universe. Yahweh is His name. But there's a bigger reason. The reason for the crossing of the Jordan River during this particular time of the season was primarily for Israel. I mean, think about it. God could have waited. Joshua tells us that it's during the harvest season. He could have waited another two months, could have waited for the waters to subside as the dry season begins to hit Israel, that particular part of Israel, and then a miracle would not have been needed. They could have just walked across the Jordan River at that point during the dry season. So why is the miracle necessary? I think it's for this very reason. God wanted to reinforce the faith of His people. You know, one of the things that God does on a regular basis is to help us come to faith. That's one of the things that His Spirit does. That's what His Word does. That's what our church does in His community. It's one of the ways that God helps people come to faith. One of the things that God does a million times every day is to reinforce that faith in His people. This is why... You know, this is why this, this story is to be remembered. It is to reinforce the faith of His people. But that's why I think we also face Jordan crossings in our faith even today. And consider this. We, we go back to Deuteronomy chapter 6, and Moses is preparing the people to go into the land. And he's trying to remind them of something incredibly important. He says in verse 22, Before our eyes the Lord sent signs and wonders, great and terrible, on Egypt and Pharaoh and his whole household. But he brought us, what? Out, circle that word, but he brought us out from there to bring us, where? In, and to give us the land he promised on oath to our ancestors. One of the things that the people needed to be reminded is that God was not just God back in Egypt 38 years prior when those miracle plagues had gotten them out of, out of Egypt but that God was still strong. He was still king. He was still sovereign of the universe. He was still performing miracles even in that day as He was fulfilling His wishes of not just bringing the people out of Egypt, but, to taking, but the taking them into the land. God did not just bring them out of bondage so that they could wander around in the desert. He was bringing them into a promised land. Now today, God does not bring you out of bondage 
bondage to sin, bondage to different kinds of addiction, bondage to anything that, that is stealing your love away from God, stealing your affection away from God. He does not bring you out of that kind of bondage in order for you to wander in a spiritual desert. Now, I know most of you in this room, and I, I can say before God that I believe that most of you believe that you have been saved, that you've been saved by your faith in what Christ Jesus has accomplished on the cross. That is, by grace you have been saved. You've been baptized. Your sins have been washed away. You have a relationship with God. But how many of us, how many of us who believe that are still wandering in the spiritual desert? How many of us believe that we're saved, but we have not yet been able to enter into every promise that God has made to us and are true in Christ? And so what do we do? We settle for a mediocre Christian experience. You know, we're still discouraged by the inability to overcome sins that by the power of God we should have overcome a long time ago. Not all of them. Some of them are longer than others. But we're discouraged by the fact that we seem to be defeated day after day after day after day by that same sin. Or our emotional life seems to be up and down and all around because it's based on the circumstances that are happening around us rather than on the mighty presence of God in our life. Or how about our prayer life? You know, there's so much that you can tell about your own spiritual well-being and your own spiritual maturity by just listening to the prayer, the prayer that you yourself offer up to God. Is that a prayer that looks at the, the, the greater universe and, and the world and the country and the neighborhood and all of the things that God's glory needs to be, to, be, to, to be brought upon in those particular areas? Or is your prayer life basically, help me, help me, help me, help me, save me, save me, save me, save me? It's self-absorbed prayer. Listen, there are a lot of things that happen to you in this life. There are a lot of things that happen to you in this life that, 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 that are, can be fearful. And life is not easy. But here's a fact. When you cross the Jordan, you enter enemy territory. But God is with you every step of the way. I'm reminded of a story. I told you this story, uh, I think, some years ago. About uh, Back in the 90s, our family was traveling up to Baltimore from Kansas, had a stop in St. Louis. We were going to, uh, to my brother's wedding in the Washington, D.C. area. And uh, we get on the plane in St. Louis, made the connecting flight. We're heading to Baltimore, Washington International, when all of a sudden the lights kind of dim and some different lights kind of come on, uh, uh, warning type of lights. And the captain comes on and says, you know, we're having some problems with the landing gear, nothing to worry about. We're going to turn around, we're going to go back to St. Louis and land, and after that we'll be on our way. And everybody kind of carried on until we got ready to land. And then somebody said out loud, there's a problem with the landing gear and we're about to land. And about that time you were able to look down and you could see that the runway was just covered up with all kinds of emergency equipment. Well, uh, as, as we, were, we were landing... Uh, there was a woman in the back of the plane that started yelling out, nobody worry, Jesus is going to save you, Jesus will save you, Jesus is not going to let this plane crash, Jesus is going to save you. And we landed safely and everybody cheered and we got off. And they, they, they put us in this corridor where we're going to wait and we're wondering why aren't we getting on another plane? And some brave soul asks one of the flight attendants, said, you know, how come we're waiting here? How come we're not being taken to another uh, jetway so we can get on another plane? And she said, well... They're going to fix this plane, and then you're going to get back on, and then we're going to fly to Washington, D.C. 
And then the lady heard that. She said, well, nobody has to worry because Jesus is going to save us. Jesus is not going to let any, anything happen to us. And I'm thinking, oh, man, this is not going to end up good for her. <laughs> and so we wait around, wait around, wait around. About 45 minutes later, they say, okay, everything's fixed. The plane is perfectly fine. And we get back on the plane. We're all ready to, you know, we're buckled in. They're getting ready to close that door. And, you know, once they close the door, it's no man's land after that. I mean, nothing changes unless they have to bring in the marshals at some point. So the doors are about to be closed, when, and, and the stewardess are kind of doing, or I didn't mean to say stewards, flight attendants. The flight attendants are doing their last-minute check when this, this fellow in the back goes, you know what, I really feel uncomfortable about being on this plane. I, really, I would really prefer to get off of it. And somebody behind him said, well, if he wants to get off, you've got to let him off. Nobody can get, be on this plane. They don't want to be on this plane. They don't feel it's safe. And then you hear behind him, this lady go, hey, you don't have to worry about it. Jesus is going to save you. Jesus, it's going to be fine. Jesus, Jesus will take care of you. And then, you know, the stewardess gets on and says, well, we're going to allow this gentleman to get off. She says, if there's anybody else that would like to get off, then, you know, we'll, we'll make sure that, you know, we understand. We'll make sure that you get on another plane. Well, he gets off. Another person gets off. Another person gets off. Another person gets off. About five or six, seven people get off of the plane. Everybody else is just kind of being seated. And you hear in the back, this woman say, good Lord, let me off of this plane. Jesus, same lady. Same lady that was saying, Jesus will save, Jesus will save, Jesus will save. Now is Jesus, let me off of this plane. And I thought to myself, oh, my people, my people. What in the world does that say about your faith in the presence of God? Now, I don't have a problem. I don't have a problem with, with being fearful. And, and I don't have a problem with those people getting off the plane. You know? But, but, to, but to say that Jesus, 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 God is there, God is there, God is there, God, and then to not follow through is to blackball God. It is, it is to give God a vote of no confidence. And that's why we just we need to realize, and, and to be honest, listen, life is not easy. And there are things that we face that challenge that faith on a daily basis. There are obstacles that we face. And when we cross that Jordan, we are entering into enemy territory. But know this, church, God is with you all the way. And that's why this crossing of the Jordan River was to be embedded in their hearts and memory and in every action that they performed from here on out is that there are obstacles that are insurmountable unless God is the one that is helping. I think there are three lessons in this crossing that I want us to focus on just for a couple of minutes that we have left. The first is we need to see the presence of God. And let's just say it that way. You have to develop the kind of spiritual eyesight... I do as well, where we are able to see the presence of the God who promises never to leave us and never to forsake us. Have you ever thought about those people being out in front of that river, a million plus of them, encamped for three days? What are they doing? I don't know about you, but when I'm by a river, I'm always looking at the river. And for three days, they're looking at the river, and the river, river, as it's flowing by. And what are they doing? Are they making plans? Are they trying to figure out whether or not God, you know, I don't, think, I don't think that's what's going on. They are looking at that. They're looking at a mild 
a, a mile-wide river flowing by for three days to be impressed by the fact that it is an impossibility for them to cross and to take that land. And then Joshua says, stop looking at the river and look at the presence of God in the Ark of the Covenant as it goes before you. That ark is mentioned, if you want to go and count it in, in your Bible, it's mentioned about 16 times in Joshua chapter 3 and Joshua chapter 4. The main character of this story is not Joshua, it's not the people, it's not the river. You know what the main, who the main character of the story is? It's God who leads them. It is God represented in that ark going in front of them about half a mile or so that is the main character of this story. And that ark represents the presence of God that is to be trusted in. Now, friends, that's why we have Jordan rivers to cross in this life. They remind us that it is God who opens up the promises in Christ to us on a daily basis. And the Jordan is too wide and the current is too strong without God Himself. And that's why we have to develop those spiritual eyes to see the presence of God every day of our life, regardless of what it is that we're encountering. Let me give you an Old Testament version of that. It's found in the, um, in the New Testament, Hebrews chapter 11. It's talking about Moses. Moses is a fellow that's having to deal with a lot of obstacles that in his eyes are insurmountable. But notice what the Hebrew writer says about him in verse 27. By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger, but he persevered. That is, his faith lasted. He got across. He lasted because he saw him who is invisible. And then there's Paul. What do we need to say about Paul? Everybody knows that Paul had a rough life. The things that you read about in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 are not even mentioned in Acts. You put all of those things together and you've got a terrifically horrific life. And when he starts thinking about what's happening with the Corinthian church, it's tough because they don't respect him. They don't want to listen to a word that he has to say. He keeps having to prove himself to them. So what is it that he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and talking about all of the issues that they have to face in life? It says in verse 18, we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since that what is seen is temporary and what is unseen is eternal. Brothers and sisters, we have to be confident in the presence of God. We have to be able to see the presence of God every day. And then number two, because we see the presence of God, we're able to act in faith with God. Too many Christians are satisfied to walk beside the river instead of into it. We spend all of our life walking beside it and never crossing and never getting into it. Listen, friends, never be afraid to move when you recognize that it's God that's leading you. You know, I think some of the unsung, he the, the unsung heroes of this story, even though the main character is God, the unsung heroes of this chapter are the priests. Joshua tells these priests, I want you to take a really heavy metallic box and put it on your shoulders. And now, you know, once you get that on your shoulders, this is the next thing I want you to do. I want you to walk with that heavy object on your shoulders into that river. Nowhere in the text do I see where Joshua even mentions the fact that God is going, you know, how this miracle is going to take place. 
how God is going to dam up these waters with a, with a supernatural uh, a dam up in the area of Adam. He doesn't do that. The river just keeps flowing. And here are the priests with the heavy Ark of the Covenant on their shoulders, on the poles, on the shoulders, 50 yards out, 40 yards out, 30 yards out, 20 yards out, 10 yards out, and the river's still flowing pretty fast. It's still a mile wide until they put their foot in it. Faith is not believing in spite of evidence. Faith is obeying in spite of consequences. Faith is obeying in spite of consequences. This is the message that James is trying to get across to the first century church. James chapter 2, verse 17. In the same way, faith by itself, if it's just belief, if it just sits there, if it doesn't do anything, is dead. Faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by what, church? Action is dead. And that's why in Hebrews chapter 11, Abel brought and Noah built and Abraham went and Isaac blessed and Moses refused and Rahab welcomed. In Mark chapter 2, Jesus sees the faith of the friends of the paralytic as they, you know, they can't get that paralytic inside the, the place where Jesus is at in order to get him healed. So what do they do? They go up on top of the house that Jesus is staying at. They dig up the roof and drop that paralytic on his mat in front of Jesus. They were going to get him to Jesus regardless of, of what obstacle was in front of them. And Mark records that Jesus saw their faith. You know, I think about, I think about Abraham. I mean, the, 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 one of the stories of the Old Testament that I have thought and thought and pondered and pondered and, and, until I'm, 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 I'm blue in the brain. Genesis chapter 22. Here's God coming to Abraham, and He says, this promised son, the one that is promised Isaac, I want you to take him to a, a mountain that I'm going to show you, and I want you to sacrifice him. And you think about Abraham, he's going, he's making everything ready, he's loading up you know, the animals, he's getting the sun, he's getting the servants, and they're walking and walking and walking and walking 50 feet, 20 feet, 10 feet to that mountain. And God doesn't say anything. And he goes up on top of that mountain and he binds up Isaac. It's known in Hebrew as the Akedah, the binding of Isaac. It's a great, it's a, it's a, it's a great part of, of the Jewish religion, of Judaism. And he gets all the way to the point. Priests putting their feet into the river. It's Abraham raising the knife above Isaac when God intervenes. Is your faith the kind that is active and moves and is seen by other people? You see the presence of God. You follow God. You act in faith and you move. And then number three, and this is the last thing we'll talk about, you anticipate the wonder. One of the greatest issues facing each of us is the human tendency to limit the greatness of God. We do. I mean, do, what, was, what was the desert dotted with for 38 years prior to this moment when the people are getting ready to cross the river? What's it dotted with? Graves. The graves of whom? the graves of people that somewhere between Egypt and Mount Sinai and the time they get to Kadesh Barnea have lost the wonderment of God. 
The desert is dotted with the graves of people who thought that they had figured out when and where and why and what God could and could not do. That God had been able to be sovereign in Egypt, but maybe not so much in Canaan. And the Hebrew writer reminds us, chapter 3, verse 19, that those people were not able to enter because of their unbelief. The crossing of the Jordan taught the people that God, that the God who could stop a river that is a mile wide could certainly deliver on any promise that He had made to them. And the Jordan rivers that we face today should remind us that when God is present, we should expect to see extraordinary things. Two quick uh, applications and we're done. The first is worship. You know, for a, for a lot of people, for a lot of Christians, worship is, is, is done out of habit, which is not necessarily a bad thing. But, wor- but worship is done out of, out of, out of duty. It's, it's, done, it's done out of habit in the sense that the, 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 the people of God coming together and the promise of God to be with His people, somehow that has been translated into, in, into boredom. What would it be like if when we think about coming to worship, a coming into the presence of the God who has helped me to cross the Jordans that I face and helped you to cross the Jordans that you face, that when we come together we anticipate that the God who did all of those great things is the God that still does them today and can do them even in our assembly. That He will make Himself wondrous to us. And so we begin to anticipate the wonder when we come to our assemblies. We begin to anticipate that, that, that grudges that are between people, brothers and sisters in Christ, will be melted as hearts are pierced by the love of God. Or that sin is conquered in someone's life. Or there are relationships that are restored. Or there are lives and souls that are given to God because of what they have experienced in this church. I think of what Paul says to the church in Corinth. That He says, you know, when the, when the church really worships in the presence of God and, and the singing is dynamic and the prayers are heartfelt and, there's just, and the, the sermons are, are full of conviction in God's Word and people are relating to each other by, by Scripture, and they're expecting the presence of God, and that's the kind of worship that you experience there in Corinth, you know what the unbeliever is going to do? He's going to fall on his knees and exclaim that God is really in this place. 14th chapter. That God is changing lives and helping people every day to cross their own Jordans, whatever they might be. And and the second is this. You know, from time to time, you know, especially as a minister, and I'm not the only one, the shepherds, the other other ministers on staff get the same question. How can I know the will of God? How can I know the will of God? How do I know that that I'm not just jumping ahead of the ark and expecting God to catch up with me? That's a very, very good question. Don't have time to answer it. But let me say, start with this. What is at issue for most folk is that they have a hard time understanding what some of the mysterious will of God is for their life because they're not very good at keeping the explicit will of God in their life. You know, the Scripture is just full of 
of, 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 of the understanding of what the will of God is for each and every one of our lives here. And if we have trouble seeing the presence of God and acting in faith and, and, and being awed by the presence of God in the explicit things, then granted, there's probably going to be some difficulty based on some of the things that are not so explicit. Today, commit yourself to seeing God in your life. And today, commit yourself to acting in faith with that God who will never let you down, who will never forsake you, who will never leave you, who is faithful and will bless you. Act today in faith with that God. And then expect to be blessed with wonderment. I can tell you story after story after story after story. People that ran into financial duress and that money showed up on the doorstep. I can tell you about being in hallways when doctors come out of surgeries and doctors come out of, out of uh, examination rooms and say, you know what, the cancer that was there yesterday, we, we have not a clue where it's gone. People that you think will never turn to God at all all of a sudden are falling down on their knees and begging for mercy that God will save them. Relationships that seem so torn and so tattered and so blown up are the exact kinds of relationships that can be put back together again by God's grace. Live in the wonder of crossing the Jordan. Ben's going to lead us in a song right now. Some of our shepherds are going to be down here at the front. If there are ways that our church can minister to you, either through helping you connect with that God for the very first time in your life, your sins being forgiven and being blessed by that God, by becoming His child. Or there may be some ways that maybe your faith experience, your spiritual life experience has been mediocre. You feel like you've been out the desert and you're ready to cross the Jordan. And what you need, the encouragement and the prayers of this church family to help you through it then this is the time to make these needs known as we stand and sing together. And amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene And wondered how He could love me, a sinner condemned.